Welcome to Future Insiders, a podcast about the future of tech, business, and humanity. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. Today, I'm joined by Jake Sotiriades, Chief of Strategic Foresight and Futures at the United States Air Force. We'll be talking about the Global Futures Report he worked on and the importance of having a futurist mindset in the armed forces and beyond. So I am joined today by my fellow futurist and friend, Jake Sotiriades. Uh, I think I got that right. <laughs> I think I got that you right. You did. Yeah, I nailed it. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so Jake, you know, it's it's really exciting. I, you know, I, I have a lot of folks on the, on the podcast, but you're one of the ones that I've been waiting to, to have on for a while. And um, you know, we, we've only known each other for a couple months, so you're one of those future insiders that I haven't really known that long, but we've kind of really built a rapport, and I admire the work you're doing. I think that the work you're doing is incredibly important on a whole new level, um, you know, for, especially for the United States. So maybe tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do, and I think people will get it. We'll get why I'm so excited. Well, absolutely, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me, and it's really exciting to be here and talk with you about this. I, like you said, we've we met, I think, a little earlier this year, and um, but it's just it's so, it's been so fun to to talk with you and kind of see where uh, all of these converging interests we have lie. And doing stuff like this is great. So um, my day job is uh, <laughs> is I'm the chief of strategic foresight and futures analytics at headquarters Air Force, which is really a nice way of just saying that I'm I'm the Air Force's senior futurist. And um, what we have done um, to really bring strategic foresight and emphasize the value of future thinking in national defense uh, over the last year, uh, we're really seeing um, bear a lot of fruit. And I think the pandemic now and this present disruption that we're all in has really raised the demand signal on the kind of work that we're doing and just on strategic foresight and futures writ large. So it's a challenging time, no doubt. And, uh, you know, aware of all of the challenges so many people are going through, but at the same time, it's really an exciting um, it's an exciting time period to be working uh, in futures and in particular in the national security realm. Yeah, very much so. And, and one of the things that I think a lot of people always ask me, um, and I, I want you to answer this is what is a futurist? You know, do futurists predict the future? Like what, what do you, when people ask you that, how do you answer that question? That's actually pretty funny because I get that question a lot as well. And I think there's this kind of stereotypical view of a futurist as maybe you know, somebody that's uh, locked in some dark room somewhere with, you know, uh, but no, it's this futurist really, um, I think to sort of really clarify, they're not predicting the future. Um, really part and parcel of what we're doing um, is harnessing the weak signals and the emerging trends of today. But also, you know, one of the things I like to say is you know, historians tend to make the best futurists sometimes uh, because you have to understand historical sources of disruption and change in society. And so um, what we're doing is understanding how those changes have actually come about and trying to identify uh, what's happening today and sort of harness those weak signals. And then um, what we do is actually build um, alternative futures, right? And we try to uh, expand what we call the foresight zone uh, so that we're able to sort of future-proof, in particular when I'm talking about national defense, 
our uh, strategic planning and really challenge the assumptions that we have. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about a project that you spearheaded um, pretty, you know, that came out a couple months ago, but uh, I think a month ago or so, um, the, the Global Futures Report that you put together for the, the Air Force in conjunction with a whole bunch of amazing folks like um, like the future, uh, like a space futurist and a fellow friend of ours. Um, so maybe tell folks a little bit about the Global Futures Report and, and kind of how it came about and what you guys uh, delivered. Absolutely. So I'll answer that by sort of just giving a, a brief background. You know, about a year ago, um, when I had arrived at the Pentagon for my second tour, um, I had the, the benefit of coming to the Pentagon from spending, after spending three years at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, um, which is um, really a global leadership, a, a global center of leadership and futures thinking. Um, and so coming back to the Pentagon with a set of fresh eyes, uh, after having been a fellow over at the uh, at the Manoa School, uh, really helped me to be able to frame, I think, some of these key questions in defense uh, in a different way. And so what we decided to do um, was actually create a capacity to do futures thinking in a, just a bit more disciplined way, I think, than it had been approached. And so to kind of fast forward to where we are now, as we were building the pieces towards that and um, really the beauty of, of this futures report was being able to harness all of um, our professional networks uh, around the globe. And so the global futures report really is, um, it's, I think it showcases how we can use strategic foresight and futures thinking to get after really wicked problems. And so we were asked a few months back after the pandemic had hit to start thinking about what are the strategic implications of COVID-19 and the disruption and what are the second, third order effects of this, right? And this is beyond sort of, um, you know, are we going to cut budgets or are we going to maybe invest our, our, our resources elsewhere? This was really a, a concerted effort to try to frame the sources of disruption and then look at how we could build out some potential alternative future scenarios so that our uh, senior leaders in the Department of Defense and the Department of the Air Force uh, would be able to frame, uh, I think, the dynamics in a different way. But to do this, and it was really fun to do it because we had folks, um, if we were able to do a geographic map uh, that started in Hawaii and then basically ranged all the way to Cairo. And we looked at things like, uh, you know, the future of competition in space and future of supply chains and uh, geopolitical issues like what, what would transatlantic relations look like? What, what's the future of uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative? Uh, looking at weak signals um, in the Middle East and new fault lines emerging there, but then also things like disinformation campaigns as well, mm -hmm. malign influence. Um, uh, it, so, I mean, it's it's really, I think, a, uh, a pretty comprehensive document. And, you know, it's been downloaded now thousands of times. Um, we've been able to talk about it. And I think it's really done a lot to, to frame the disruption and frame this current environment for not only our senior leaders, but also the response that we've gotten um, beyond the defense establishment, right? Uh, the partnerships that we continue to establish, that's just been such a, a wonderful experience and uh, we're looking forward to continuing that. Yeah, and it's an, it's an unclassified report. So anyone that's listening to this podcast, they, anyone can download it. Um, where, where, where do they go to download it? Yeah, they can download it. And I, I will say, Kathy, uh, where one of the basic um, goals that we had in building this was we wanted to make it accessible. 
Um, mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that based on the disruption that we could have, um, you know, a wide audience that really goes beyond the military look at it. So folks can go to AFWIC, which is A-F-W-I-C dot A-F dot mil dot M-I-L, and they will be able to download the Global Futures Report. Um, it's about a little short of 50 pages, mm-hmm. um, but um, absolutely it, it, open to everybody to, to access. And it's it's a, to me like having kind of kind of kind of read most of it. It's it's essential reading if you really want to start thinking through futures and and, and the future of of geopolitical um, you know of everything that's going to happen. It it it's, it was really interesting to to read. Um, one thing that I definitely want to touch on is I was I was lucky enough because I really felt lucky to be able to be there. I was lucky enough to listen to one of your talks at the Defense Innovation Summit. If I'm not wrong, I think that was the name of the conference. Um, but That's I heard right. your talk there. Yeah, I heard your talk there, and I walked away, and I was like, "You, everything you said, I'm a hundred percent." aligned with what you're talking about related to education, related to futures thinking in the armed forces and beyond. So maybe we can expand a little bit on that because I feel that it's such an important point that people need to hear. Well, thanks for that, Kathy. And that was really a fun talk because I think as you, as you rightly said, um, the futures report is the manifestation of, I think what can be accomplished. The bigger goal that we have really is, and I think it's a pretty ambitious goal, but we want to change the fundamental way um, we actually think. Um, and this this goes even beyond the Defense Department. I mean, we want to change how our country thinks, how we are using strategic foresight uh, to basically make develop anticipatory thinking to make better decisions. Uh, and one of the things I talked about was, first of all, we have to recalibrate what I'm calling our cognitive operating system. Um, you know, we've we've gotten accustomed to a particular way of thinking. And usually it's from, you know, it's a linear thinking from, from point A to point B. Um, but what, and even in, even in some, you know, some circles of, of DOD and even the intelligence community, um, you know, strategic foresight is a bit different um, because it's not like, um, you know, intelligence analysis that will give you like a most likely and least likely course of action, usually based off of, um, you know, established patterns of behavior. This is something completely different, right? This is a, it's a fundamental paradigm shift in the way that we think. And so we're talking about embracing complexity, understanding that, um, you know, really, really complicated problems um, need a different modicum of thought. So understanding that we've got uh, multi-source causality to a problem and we have um, codependent variables uh, when we're talking about a particular issue that we have to understand. And so um, it's just a realization that uh, even like purely quantitative analyses of of complicated issues uh, really aren't going to get us to a point where we can understand the dynamics surrounding an issue. And so um, I, this is a push that we're making and we want to democratize futures thinking. We want to, one of the things that I like to say is that everybody is a futurist. We all have concepts in our minds of what we think uh, the future could be or how it might look. Um, but we we don't want to just leave it uh, into like a pocket of excellence in some office in the Pentagon. We want to be able to have a national security workforce of futurists, folks that are familiar uh, with the methodologies, but also comfortable with uncertainty. Um, futurists trade in the currency of uncertainty. And there really isn't a more uh, critical field to emphasize that than national security. And so that's really the goal of what we're trying to do. 
Yeah, and, and and you and I have talked about this. In in some ways, you know, this pandemic has been very tragic, but in some ways it's also helping people understand that they need to embrace complexity and uncertainty and um yeah. and through a lot of things that they thought were impossible, right? That were that were never that were not plausible and which are. Um so I think it's really, really um interesting. You um you know, you and I also talked about the the idea that we're poss possibly upon a new renaissance uh, for for foresight and for futurists. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I'm a firm believer in that. I think as terrible as the pandemic has been, there hasn't been any uh, more, I think, just important event in our lifetimes to drive home the importance of futures and foresight. I mean, when I would talk about what we were doing maybe a year ago or even eight months ago, um, there was interest, don't get me wrong, but as soon as the pandemic hit and we started building out our products and communicating what we were doing, it was incredible. I mean, it was a night and day shift in the demand signal for what we were doing. Uh, and now we, we just were almost overwhelmed with the amount of work that we're doing. So um, it's, it really, I think it gives you know everybody, no matter where they are, uh, no matter what field that they're in, everybody has sort of gotten this mental reboot of, you know, thinking differently about how the seemingly uh, improbable is now actually quite plausible. Um, and, and even our children are experiencing this now that, you know, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, in 15 or 20 years, you know, how this experience actually shapes their own visions of the future, right? And how they develop. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating time. And uh, as... Uh, as we're often uh, fond of saying, we, we never want to let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> um, and also one thing that you had shared, I think is during your talk, that is that you're working on a book currently. So maybe tell folks a little bit more about the book that you're working on. Oh yeah, thanks very much. Um, I, I am, I'm, I'm working on a book that actually gets us to understanding great power competition. Um, and when, when we talk about great, great power competition, you know, we came out of this period um, where essentially the number one, at least in national security, most of, of uh, the military careers of my contemporaries were really focused on the global war on terrorism. Now we're seeing a much different world. We're seeing, uh, you know, actors such as China and Russia and others, um, you know, challenging very openly, uh, not only the established order, uh, but um, what the, the premise of the book is understanding really a different way of thinking about ideology. And the reason why I say that is because We've got uh, lots of empirical data that actually show that, uh, you know, one of the main sources, if not the primary source of violent conflict uh, and, and war over the last several years is actually ideology. Um, but what we haven't really talked about, I think, in an important and a disciplined way is how we are understanding the emerging ideological models uh, of our competitors, uh, but also looking at our own ideological predilections and understanding how that works. And so... It really, the book is called uh, the, the Invisible Regime, uh, and it looks at um, uncovering ideological competition in the 21st century. And what it really does is um, basically takes a theoretical look and develops ideology as a complex adaptive system. And so it frames um, political ideologies as living, breathing networks uh, that can actually have uh, very, very far-reaching effects on the foreign policies. Uh, and decision-making processes of, uh, of not only our country, but uh, basically every country um, of, of states in general. So it's, 
it's uh, it's very much uh, you know in the beginning phases here, but the goal is to have it out by next um, next summer, and we'll, we'll be able to push out more information on that. But I think it's a really important piece, uh, in particular in in the realm of foreign policy and in national security and national defense, um, because it really gets to that cognitive piece that I've been talking about uh, in understanding how ideas become material in a systemically important way for interpreting security politics. Yeah. And wow. And I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the book and definitely, you know, keep, keep us posted. Uh, I'll definitely share out more information as it becomes available. So another thing, um, you know, we're getting towards the end of our, uh, of our time together. And um, I want to make sure that if anyone is listening to this and, and they say, I need to connect with Jake, I, I need to, you know, connect with him for partnerships or whatever it is, w- what is the best way for them to reach you? So there are a few ways. Um, Number one, they are number one. They can uh, they can always shoot me an email, just Jake dot and that's always a tricky one, right? So Greek last names S O T I R I A D I S uh, at gmail.com. or they can also find me uh, on LinkedIn uh, and just Jake Satiriatus. Uh, this is my my LinkedIn feed. Yeah, and I'll also link to your profile from the description for the podcast. So if anyone, you know, if anyone wants to also try to the link, they can do that. So, um, and Jake, before we go, what is something, it could be a technology, it could be, it could be anything really, uh, it could be hardware, it could be anything. What have you seen out there that excites you about the future? Oh my gosh, so many things. It's actually hard. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly being fascinated by any, any amount of, of, of new concepts or ideas. But I I would say right now, and sort of from where I sit, and perhaps it makes sense, um, you know, being a a security practitioner, uh, really the potential uh, for for man, human machine teaming going forward, and and what that actually does, how it forces us uh, to completely reconsider um, what our core knowledge sets have to be. Um, When we're talking about automating uh, tons of, especially like in the analytic Field, right, where in intelligence analysis, right, um, our, our, pro- our processes are going to be slowly get or actually quickly getting to the point where they're no longer able to keep up with the amount of information. Uh, you know, about 10 years ago, when I was on, on the intelligence staff, one of the things we said was that, you know, we're swimming in sensors and pretty soon we're going to be drowning in data. Um, and that, that was 10 years ago. And now we're in a completely different phase. And so this idea now that we're going to have, you know, a, a, maybe a a, 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 a lesser burden on our you know, human labor capital investment, um, mm-hmm. but transforms fundamentally uh, the kinds of contextualized knowledge sets that we're going to need. And I think that's actually a blind spot for us right now is developing what those knowledge sets look like uh, and what that, um, you know, what that multifaceted leader uh, of the future needs to have. I think that's going to be an incredible, uh, critically important um, uh, concept for, for tomorrow, and not just um, not just the skill sets, but also combining, as I mentioned, it's that combination, that world, that nexus of the disruptive tech and then the uh, the skill sets to match it at the same time. I think is our challenge. Yeah. Oh my goodness. As always, it's a pleasure, Jake, to chat with you, and I think people are going to love this episode. So thank you for being on Future Insiders. No, oh, thanks so much for having me, Kathy. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future Insiders podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you in our next episode.